the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back. Monday, January 15th, 2024. Coming to you live from the 960 Patriot Broadcast Studio. Brought to you by the veteran-owned Midas Gold Group, your trusted source for precious metals. I have Mr. Bill. I have David Dahl. I have Miss Terry. 602-508-0960. Take out your notebooks. I want to give a lesson here. Today is Martin Luther King Jr. Day, and it's also Iowa Caucus Day. Kind of an interesting alignment, an election for the presidency and a party that was founded to end, as it said in its first platform, the barbarism of slavery and a commemoration of the man who most represented the quest for civil rights in the 1950s and 1960s. The unity of those two things on this day is good occasion to reemphasize what both had in common, an abiding respect and love for, A, the founding of our country and the original intent of the founders of our country, B, the equality of all people, and C, opposition to either the notion that rights flowed through blood type or that rights could flow through anything other than nature and brain power. As almost everyone gets King wrong, let us start by recalling that he was a reverend. We hear a great deal about Martin Luther King and Dr. King, and yes, he did have a PhD, but it was as a man of the cloth that he wanted to be remembered. Indeed, Reverend King said almost exactly that before he was killed. He said, quote, I don't want to be remembered for anything other than a man who did his best to be a good Christian, close quote. Now, why is this important? For years, we have been told that policy should be divorced from religion, that we should not try to influence policy with religion or mix politics and religion. But folks, step back. Is that right? Is that our history or even the best of our history? First, let's understand that every great social and political movement in this country came out of the churches. The man who was first in war, first in peace, and first in the hearts of his countrymen, our first president, George Washington, said in his farewell address, quote, of all the dispositions and habits which lead to political prosperity, lead to political prosperity, religion and morality are indispensable supports. In vain would that man claim the tribute of patriotism who should labor to subvert these great pillars of human happiness, these firmest props of the duties of men and citizen, close quote. Then think about our movements to end slavery in the 19th century and the civil rights movement of the 20th. They all came out of the churches. I don't think you can find a speech of Abraham Lincoln's that didn't cite the Bible. Now think of the Song on the lips of the Army of the Potomac as they fought the Civil War. They sang something called the Battle Hymn of the Republic. It opens thus, Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. The refrain, His truth keeps marching on, capital H. And then there's this beautiful line, As he, capital H, died to make men holy, we shall die to make men free. No, he, 
no emancipation. Same for the civil rights movement of the 1950s and 1960s. It came out of the churches, and it was led by men with names like Reverend Martin Luther King. And who was his lieutenant and best friend? Reverend Ralph Abernathy. Who was the Jewish leader who marched with King and Selma? Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel. Pause on Heschel for a moment. He, he fled Nazi Germany, and when asked why he left New York to march in Selma, he said, quote, You cannot worship God and then look at a human being created by God in God's own image as if he or she were an animal, close quote. If there's a better statement of understanding the Declaration of Independence's clause that all men are created equal, I have not seen it. Folks, Reverend King said, quote, the most important part of church is what you do when you leave the front doors at the end of the sermon, close quote. In other words, what do you do with the sermon once you go onto the streets? Don't tell me religion has no place in policy or politics so that we cannot look to our religion to inform our policies. That sentiment would have been wholly strange and alien to not only George Washington, but also Abraham Lincoln and, of course, Martin Luther King whose life we commemorate today. And were it true, slavery would have never ended, and there would be no civil rights movement either. That's all point one. Point two. Today's self-appointed legatees of Reverend King have nothing in common with Reverend King. Today's so-called civil rights leadership fundamentally misunderstands what Reverend King thought of this country. The Al Sharptons and Jesse Jacksons and Jeremiah Wrights and Ibrahim Kendis and, yes, even the Barack Obamas, they don't understand what King understood about this country. It makes one wonder if they ever read a full speech of his. Why do I say this? The Sharptons, Jacksons, the Obamas, the Kendis choke on speaking to the greatness of this country. They are much happier talking about how this country's founding was racist or how this country is today still racist. When President Obama was asked if he would speak to American exceptionalism, he said America is as exceptional to him as Great Britain is to the British or Greece is to the Greeks. It's not how King saw it. You cannot find me a speech where he did not praise this country. Sure, he said it has to live up to its founding, but that it was a great founding. Here was King at his famous I Have a Dream speech at the March in Washington. And note the love of the founding here. Nothing like the 1619 Project. Quote, in a sense, we've come to our nation's capital to cash a check. When the architects of our republic wrote the magnificent words of the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence, they were signing a promissory note to which every American was to fall heir. This note was a promise that all men, yes, black as well as white, would be guaranteed the unalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. If you said 1619 to Martin Luther King, he would not know what you're talking about. Listen to how he ended his speech, that speech. It was the tribute to a country by a man who knew and loved this country. It was a tour of the country he loved, if you will. He said, and this will be the day, this will be the day when all of God's children will be able to sing with new meaning, my country tis of thee, sweet land of liberty, of thee I sing. Land where my fathers died, land of the pilgrim's pride, from every mountainside let freedom ring. And if America is to be a great nation, again, this must become true. And so let freedom ring from the prodigious hilltops of New Hampshire, mighty mountains of New York, heightening Alleghenies of Pennsylvania, 
the snow-capped Rockies of Colorado, curvaceous slopes of California, but not only that, Stone Mountain of Georgia, Lookout Mountain of Tennessee, every hill and molehill of Mississippi, from every mountainside let freedom ring. And when this happens, and we allow freedom to ring, when we let it ring from every village and every hamlet, from every state and every city, we'll be able to speed up that day when all of God's children, black men and white men, Jews and Gentiles, Protestants and Catholics, will be able to join hands and sing in the words of the old Negro spiritual, Free at last, free at last, thank God Almighty, we are free at last. Do you get that from 1619 or Ibrahim Kendi or any of the current civil rights self-appointed spokesmen and race mongers in Black Lives Matters movement today? Any of that? Any of that? Nothing like it. Note the inclusiveness, Jews and Gentiles, Protestants and Catholics— Al Sharpton led race riots and anti-Semitic riots in New York City. Today, Black Lives Matter and other soy-desant progressive groups target Jews. King would have none of that. While I'm on that point, know too how strongly King felt about Jews and the country of Israel. Jesse Jackson and Al Sharpton and the BLM and Obama and universities and even the interns at the White House and in Congress condemn Israel. It is a legacy of the black power movement of the 1960s that put Israel on par with South Africa, and hence the use of the word apartheid all over again. It is a legacy of African nationalist and anti-colonialist movements that the Palestinians, cleverly led by Yasser Arafat and funded by the Soviet Union, cobbled together to make Israel a pariah state. Not Martin Luther King. He wanted none of that. Here's what he said in one of his last speeches in 1968. The response of some of the so-called young militants does not represent the position of the vast majority of Negroes. There are some who are color-consumed and they see a kind of mystique in blackness or in being colored and anything non-colored is condemned. We do not follow that course. Peace for Israel means security, and we must stand with all our might to protect the right of Israel to exist, its territorial integrity, and the right to use whatever sea lanes it needs. Israel is one of the great outposts of democracy in the world and a marvelous example of what can be done, how desert land can be transformed into an oasis of brotherhood and democracy. Peace for Israel means security, and that security must be a reality. Close quote. After the Six-Day War, that's Martin Luther King. I have a lot more to say when we come right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show, coming to you live from the 960 Patriot Broadcast Studio, which is brought to you by the veteran-owned Midas Gold Group, your trusted source for precious metals. Just telling you some things about Martin Luther King that you wouldn't know, maybe from the 1619 Project or from the others who um, are distorting the real record. We were talking about his earlier statements with regard to the Black Power Movement And I hope it's becoming clear that if one wants to actually pay homage to Reverend King, one has an obligation to actually follow what he said or at a minimum quote him from time to time inaccurately and maybe even believe in what he said rather than the opposite. Let us take a moment to think about another sentiment. Today, if you go to a college campus and you walk into the Black Student Center, you will see all kinds of posters and homage to Malcolm X. There's a very famous image of Malcolm X shouting an epithet that has become a banner of our youth and college students today. I would be surprised if that picture were not also in the offices of Al Sharpton or Ibrahim Kendi, or for that matter, Jeremiah Wright. 
But do you know what you will not see? You will not see two pictures of Martin Luther King and Malcolm X together. They were contemporaries. You might think they worked together or did a lot together. There would be a lot of pictures of them together. There are not. There is but one single picture of the two of them together, and there's a reason for this. King wanted no pictures of them together, ever. He wanted nothing to do with Malcolm X's militancy or his Islamacy or his condemnations of America as an evil place. Indeed, you don't have to take my word for it. Listen to Reverend King in his own words, in his famous letter from a Birmingham jail. Used to be taught a lot. If it's taught at all, I bet this is excised. It was a letter he wrote to fellow pastors, fellow clergymen, who thought of and slandered King as an extremist. He wrote this, quote, I stand in the middle of two opposing forces in the Negro community. One is a force of complacency made up in part of Negroes who, as a result of long years of oppression, are so drained of self-respect and a sense of somebodyness that they have adjusted to segregation. And in part of a few middle and apart from a few middle class Negroes who, because of a degree of academic and economic security and because in some way they profit by segregation, they have become insensitive to the problems of the masses. The other force is one of bitterness and hatred. And it comes perilously close to advocating violence. It is expressed in the various black nationalist groups that are springing up across the nation, the largest and best known being Elijah Muhammad's Muslim movement. This movement is made up of people who have lost faith in America, who have absolutely repudiated Christianity, and who have concluded that the white man is an incorrigible devil. Close quote. You know who he's talking about, right? Elijah Muhammad. He was the head of the Nation of Islam and Malcolm X's boss. Today, that movement is led by, that organization is led by Louis Farrakhan. King condemned all of them, not only because they were anti-Christian, as he said, but because they were violent, because they thought of America and other whites as the devil. Do you think anyone who wears a Malcolm X shirt has any idea of any of that or anyone who writes for the 1619 Project or the Black Lives Matter movement? You cannot honor King and Malcolm X as the same any more than you can honor Abraham Lincoln and John Wilkes Booth as the same. But it is that legacy of violence and speaking of us as the devil that today's black power movement represents, even as they call themselves Christian leaders. King would not understand that at all. Final point, <coughs> the notion of relativism, that there can be no absolute truths be beyond our subjective preferences and opinions. Reverend King wanted nothing of this. And yet today, that is the view that dominates the academy and almost all of social science. Recall, please, that Reverend King loved and continually cited the self-evident truths of the Declaration of Independence. I don't think he ever said my truth. Listen to this to one of his most famous sermons called A Knock at Midnight. Quoted, is midnight within the social order. This midnight in man's external collective is paralleled by midnight in his internal individual life. It is midnight within the psychological order. Everywhere, everywhere paralyzing fears harrow people by day and haunt them by night. Deep clouds of anxiety and depression are suspended in our mental skies. More people are emotionally disturbed today than at any other time of human history. 
The psychopathic wards of our hospitals are crowded, and the most popular psychologists today are the psychoanalysts. Bestsellers in psychology are books such as Man Against Himself, The Neurotic Personality of Our Times, Modern Man in Search of His Soul. Bestsellers in religion are such books as Peace of Mind and Peace of Soul. The clergyman preaches soothing sermons on how to be happy, how to relax. Some have been tempted to revise Jesus' command to read, Go ye into all the world and keep your blood pressure down, and lo, I will make you a well-adjusted personality. All of this is indicative that it is midnight within the inner lives of men and women. He continued, It is also midnight within the moral order. At midnight, colors lose their distinctiveness and become a sullen shade of gray. Moral principles have lost their distinctiveness. For modern man, absolute right and wrong are a matter of what the majority is doing. Right and wrong are relative to likes and dislikes and the customs of a particular community. We have unconsciously applied Einstein's theory of relativity, which properly described the physical universe, to the moral and ethical realm. Close quote. Close quote. Universal truths that did not and do not depend on the whims of the day or subjective values or my truth or temporary majorities is what Reverend King was standing against. That's how he could appeal to the rights of man, the universal freedom and equality that man deserves because he is simply a man. There's a beautiful picture of protesters at Reverend King's last march. Not beautiful because they had to, but beautiful because of what it represents. The black men, you can look this up on your internet search engines in Memphis. The black men carried signs. And what did those signs say? They did not say, I am a black man. They said simply, I am a man. Now, if you will let me, I will uh, conclude a little later today with one last reminder For none of this is revisionism. All of this is King in his own words. King as he understood himself and what he was trying to convey. And go to that very last speech of his, just so there is no confusion that he changed or anything like that. For you will not hear Wright or Sharpton or Obama or BLM or Jackson or Kennedy speak of America as great, but you will hear Martin Luther King say that. And here is a part of what he said in his last speech. Quote, somewhere I read that the greatness of America is the right to protest for right. And so just as I say, we aren't going to let dogs or water hoses turn us around. We are going to go on. We need all of you. And you know, what's beautiful to me is to see all these ministers. It's a marvelous picture. Who is it that is supposed to articulate the longings and aspirations of the people more than the preacher? For somehow the preacher must have a kind of fire shut up in his bones, and whatever injustice is around, he tells it. Somehow the preacher must be an Amos, and saith, When God speaks, who can but prophecy? Let justice roll down like waters, and righteousness like a mighty stream. And the preacher must say with Jesus, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he had anointed me, and anointed me to deal with the problems of the poor. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. John Dombrowski brings us our culture and economy update. He is the president and founder of Grand Canyon Planning Associates. You can reach out to him via his website, learn more about Grand Canyon Planning and what he and his team do by going to it at grandcanyonplanning.com, grandcanyonplanning.com. Hi, John. Happy Monday. Hey. 
How you doing, Seth? I'm doing fine. Is it a Great. slower day for you when a market is closed? When the markets are closed, like today, or is yeah, it just it's it's, it's a little quiet. We can't we can't execute any trades. We can't really. We could do some paperwork and do some you know visit with clients, but uh, can't really transact any uh, securities, um, you know, sales or purchases at this uh, on this day. Catch up on just your like reading. a weekend. Yeah, just like a weekend. Just like a weekend. Yeah. Okay, catch up on yeah. some reading. I don't know what um, what's intriguing to you today, but I will tell you I have been intrigued for a few years now by the crisis in work, particularly mm. male employment rates. Right. And uh, Nick Eberstadt, who's a fantastic uh, scholar at the American Enterprise Institute, has been on this for some time. And showing especially, you know, what COVID did to the employment rates um, – for both working-age men and women. Women have made a comeback, less mm-hmm. so men. And men have been really in the doldrums when it comes to employment participation. Since the early 1980s, it's yeah. come and gone a little bit. Mm-hmm. But he sees a new normal based on our all-time low in 1983 that's not healthy, I think. You know, Seth, when I looked at this, too, and I'm looking at the charts, it just makes it gives you a quick snapshot of things here. And it's showing male versus female. Uh, and, you know, when you did see the sharp drop yeah. in uh, employment back in 2020, you know, right at the beginning of COVID. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then you started to see that recovery occurring. Uh, and you're right. Uh, when it comes to um, the male versus female, the female has the you female know again, reached, yeah, yeah, reached reached back to those levels yeah. uh, within a re- reasonable amount of time, and then exceeded them. Yeah. Uh, whereas the males still have not gotten back to that. Uh, and, and what is is interesting is is, and I'm wondering if part of this, because again, I haven't really studied this, but right. just looking at this on the surface, yeah. My first thought in my mind was is you know there's still a little bit of a disparate disparity between. Um, you know, what the pay scale is mm-hmm. for male versus female. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if companies, number one, maybe they're looking at the cost, right? Uh, they may think it's uh, less to hire a female than a male. I don't know. I hope that's not the case. Um, and then two is um, I look at it and I think sometimes, sometimes <laughs> some females are a little bit more responsible than males mm-hmm. depending on the position. So uh, maybe they uh, – in some cases are better suited for a lot of these positions. Um, but uh, what I also then looked at uh, is that uh, recently here, we've been seeing a pretty big uh, amount of layoffs in the tech industry. Mm. And, you know, I don't, you know, look at the percentage of male versus female as far as engineers or the yeah, people right. that work in this industry. But I wonder if there is some type of a correlation here. I'm not sure. I haven't had time really to investigate this no. based on, you know, on just, uh, like I said, just a quick um, look at this. But um, there have been a substantial, over 700,000 people laid off uh, over the past couple of years. And a high percentage of that has been in the tech industry. Uh, and when we see the rehiring occurring, uh, not as much has been happening in the tech industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, so... It's an interesting time right now for people, and you try to understand well how are companies, um, you know, producing and showing a profit uh, with less workers. Mm-hmm. And well, 
you know, artificial intelligence is now the, the biggest rage right yes, now. Yes, yes. And we've talked about, you know, these uh, fast food restaurants even years ago coming online mm-hmm. uh, with less and less people. Oh, right? I remember uh, those almost, conversations. Yep, yep, mm-hmm. yep. And if you go to a store right now and you go to check out, you have a choice. You can go wait in line and have someone check your ba- check your things out, or you can go scan them yourself. Yep. Um, so uh, there are a variety of different uh, reasons, I think, why we're seeing the employment levels um, where they are today. And uh, I think I'm it's gonna, just something that's going to be. You yeah, know, I'm going to throw a few to. theses at you uh, for you to yeah. think about over time, if that's okay. Yeah. Maybe after the you show bet. today, I, I'm just fascinated by it because I think men working, men at work. I think it's a good thing for society, and this frightens me a little bit. It's a good name for a band, too. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Joe. <laughs> All right, Securities and Advisory Services offered to Creative One Securities LLC, a member of Finn and Investment Advisor, Grand Canyon Planning Associates LLC, and Creative One Securities LLC are not affiliated. Go to our website, GrandCanyonPlanning.com. Request an appointment with me right God, there. God Thanks. love you. Thank you, Jeff. Bye. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, 602-508-0960. Friends, the folks at Midas Gold Group will tell you that the U.S. government and the Fed will have no choice but to eventually steer interest rates lower because if they don't, the current level of interest rates will bankrupt the nation. And there's no telling when the dam will break, but when it does, Midas wants to make sure you have flood insurance, in this case gold. Call Midas Gold Group now. Look into the opportunities gold can provide you as a way to diversify your investments. Call 480-360-3000 or go to MidasGoldGroup.com. That's MidasGoldGroup.com. Midas Gold Group is the nation's number one veteran-owned gold IRA firm. Protect your assets. Call 480-360-3000. That's 480-360-3000. Midas Gold Group, always faithful. MidasGoldGroup.com. Love to hear your thoughts about Iowa and the primaries, who you think will come in second tonight and what that means going forward to New Hampshire and then South Carolina, 602-5089-60. Love to hear it. Um, Young David, we need a weekend update from you. You're always doing interesting things. What were the highlights of your weekend? I can always tell how interesting they were. Well, let's see. On Friday night, I went uh, rockabilly dancing. It's called jive dancing. It's a 50s style. And Saturday, I, I went out. Uh, well, first, I have a question for you. Is that Since like the a, thing? You see the, like the hand jive stick style dancing from the movie Grease? And, I think that was more of a 70s thing. No, but there is a version of it in the movie Grease, too. Yeah, but that movie was made in the 70s. Okay. I think the hand jive was a 70s thing. All right. When was that Eric Clapton song, hand jive? I don't know, but Eric Clapton wasn't making much music in the 50s. Nobody was in the 70s. (laughs) That's my point exactly. All right, go on. Um, Well, I have a question for you. Since you're a lifelong Arizona. You were born here. You were raised here. You took some time in D.C. and came back. Yes, sir. What does four-wheeling mean to you? I think it's a version of going out on an ATV, or if that's the right word for exactly. it. These mini Jeep car type things. Exactly. That's what I was expecting. I was invited to go four wheeling. That's what I assumed. By a friend, yeah. and he took me, and we were out in the desert with his truck. And, and it, you know, we're riding on the trail, and I'm looking around, like, okay, he's the four wheeler in the back. Are we meeting the four wheeler somewhere? You didn't realize what Where you were looking for, you were doing. I was doing it. Yeah. 
And I did not realize that in Arizona, the colloquialism four-wheeling does not refer to ATV riding, but instead refers to driving a four-wheel drive vehicle. In well, the then desert. we all do that. I mean, we're yeah, all in four-wheel. We're, four-wheel all, tri- we're, we're the always desert, four-wheeling. Yeah. That I'm wasn't a not enjoyable experience, though. I very much enjoyed it. Don't well, get me wrong. Who doesn't like a Sunday drive? But it was I'm a nice just drive. <laughs> huh. It was a nice drive. I'm not. Yeah. Who doesn't like a nice drive in the country? But I asked this question of our mutual friend Jeremy, who also works here, and he said exactly what my friend assumed. No, four wheeling is driving a four wheel drive. Then we're all doing it all the time because almost there. I thought it might be an Arizonaism. We're doing it all the time then because most the cars I've been in lately are all wheel drive, which is a version of four wheel drive. Um, this is like Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. Did you ever see that movie with Spencer Tracy? And Sidney Poitier. Yeah, you ever see it? Mm-hmm. And they go out on a Sunday drive. It's a thing people do. Yes. That would be four-wheeling, I guess. Four-wheeling. Well, I think in no, I, no. it was a two-wheel drive car. Uh, well, yes, sure, then. But now, just going out on four wheels is what you did. And I'm sure, it, you know, because every almost all the cars have, have, have you know. It was a lovely experience. Don't get me wrong. I enjoyed it very much. Yeah, well, I just I'm, had not, some I'm not taking Arizona – I'm not making Arizona responsible for having a weird colloquialism that doesn't match the event. <laughs> what else did I do? On Book Saturday store? night, I went up to uh, New River yeah. and I watched a friend ride a bull for approximately three seconds. Yeah. Yes, I also went to my favorite bookstore. Yeah. I showed some friends of ours the bookstore and I uh, – The book gallery on Indian gallery. School. Yeah. Yes, I picked up some Ian Fleming books. I saw I saw one there last time I was there. I saw a first edition. I think it was Goldfinger. I think it was. They had several paperback copies, but it was about twenty five bucks, as I recall. Okay, no, they had one that they showed me. So here's the whole story. I go and I ask. I say, hey, around Christmas time, I saw some Ian Fleming books, and they were relatively inexpensive, between three and ten dollars a piece, and they were all paperbacks from the '60s. And I had some of these growing up, but I'm trying to fill out my collection, and I'm kind of hitting myself for the fact that I didn't buy all of them in December when you had most of them. And so I said, hey, do you have any of those? And do you know what I discovered? I discovered something very interesting. They pulled out an original copy of Live and Let Die from, I think, the early 50s. I think it was 53 when that book came out, Ian Fleming. And on the cover of that book is a picture of a bound lady. I had no idea. They said, well, this is one of the very rare first editions, and, you know, this is a very racy picture, and they had to change it. And they said it's very valuable to collectors. And I said, oh, really? Is that just because it's a first edition? And they said, no, that's because it's called a bound cover. Apparently, there is a subset of book collectors who collect books that have pictures of bound women on them, hmm. which was very interesting to me. I said, no, that's probably a little bit too much for my blood. I'll, uh, I'll uh, go get one of the uh, well, single-dollar the I wonder if the story of Live and Let Die – is that what it was? Live and yes. Let Die matches the movie. You're not always the same storyline. I've read it. It uh, yes. Does it take place in like the Caribbean? San Monique, yes. There is some drug smuggling. There's well, a lot the reason I ask voodoo. is because in yes. the movie itself, um, and I'm trying to think who the Jane Seymour. Jane Seymour. That's she right. Bound. She's yes, that's correct. She is bound up in that movie. Mm-hmm. She is held as a as a kind of a slave. Yes, I just thought it was the weirdest thing that there is a subset of book collectors that collect books that have that on the cover. Kind of interesting. 
Well, I guess you can get it if you go and ride the Phoenix Light Rail. Are you aware of this? No, tell me. The No Pants Light Rail ride, which takes place, <laughs> took place on Sunday. Were you there? No, but I've been Was reading that what about you did it. With your Sunday? I had no idea it existed, and it's absurd. I didn't know that. It's absurd. Yeah, and you see all these pictures of people dressed in what you could imagine they're dressed in. Um, one of the founders says it's really fun to do, but definitely isn't for everyone. But for those with a curiosity for the weird or those wanting to push themselves to try something different, this is the event. There is no shaming or judging at these events. Well, it's awfully confusing, I would imagine, some of this very graphic stuff in front of kids on the Phoenix public transportation system. I have no idea why it's advertised with a – yeah, I just have no idea why we need to use our Phoenix City transportation, taxpayer transportation – for exhibitionism like this, it's take a look at some of the pictures. It's kind of like weird at best. I'm struggling to find the right words. It can't have been any weirder than Alaska Airlines' recent pride plane. Did it might have been. <laughs> it might have been. I don't even think Alaska Airlines – did they have a pride plane? Oh, you yes, yes. Maybe they just need to create airplanes that don't blow holes in themselves. We'll be right back. Portions of this show brought to you by our good friends at Y Refi. They have an investment that invests the power in you where you have a ton of flexibility. You can turn your income on or off. You can compound it, whatever you choose. No no attack on principle. If you ever need your money back, there are absolutely no fees. And, of course, you get a monthly statement with no surprises. In this secure and collateralized portfolio from Y Refi, you can earn up to a 10.25% fixed rate of return, and it's not correlated to the stock market or the Fed. Up to a 10.25% fixed rate of return. No stock market, no Federal Reserve. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then refy.com, or give them a call at 888-Y-REFI-24. 888-Y-REFI-24. Um, lastly, you finally took my taco recommendation, huh? Oh, yeah. You know, it was uh, late at night Saturday after going up to New River and coming back down, and I was a little bit munchy, and I got some jack-in-the-box tacos, which yeah, are amazing. They are amazing. They're like $1.25 for two of them. It's you just a, can't beat the price I either. Know. They're Deep amazing. Deep fried goodness. I don't even know. I don't even want to know what kind of meat is in there. No one does. Because it's, it's probably something that don't, lived behind the restaurant. Don't look too closely. <laughs> yes. No one, no one. But it was absolutely delicious. It's a delicious. piece of American cheese in there. You, t- you mentioned that I lived in D.C. and moved back. Yes. One of the things, the first things I did when I moved back and could not wait to do. Eat Jack in the Box? Yeah, they don't have them on the but East just Coast. just the tacos? Yeah, yeah. yeah, same yeah. With I like think the... they may sell more tacos than burgers. Oh, I, be- I bet. I have had more people tell me about Jack in the Box's tacos, yeah. their egg rolls, their french fries, than, than the burgers, than anything like that. We're going to talk to Brandon Weikert a little bit later. Um, I am fascinated by what's going on in the world right now. Mark Thiessen had an interesting point earlier. He said, you know, when Republicans are uh, subsuming the news cycle with primary elections or in this case a caucus as in Iowa tonight, usually the president will engage in foreign policy. Usually that's the president – and I guess it goes both parties, D or R. The president will 
look like he's above the fray doing the work of president of the presidency. And that is clearly not something this president is doing or able to do right now. Uh, we have had uh, two Navy SEALs gone missing or die uh, in the last uh, 48 hours in the Gulf of Aden trying to um, board a, uh, an illegal arms smuggling ship of Iran's. That story may have serious repercussions. There may be a lot in that wake, so to speak. Small things, and it's not small, I don't mean it that way, but ignored stories, let me put it that way, seemingly ignored stories sometimes can become very big things. World War I or Iran-Contra. Do you remember how that started? Some obscure newspaper in Lebanon that someone paid attention. Pay attention to what happened with these two Navy SEALs. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.